what? We've done like four. How many? <laughs> how many? There's only one published. <laughs> Whatever. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Cannonside Chats. Cannonside Chats is a weekly podcast where we talk about everything going on with Arsenal Football Club. If you haven't already, please be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Cannonside Chats. Today, I am joined by Beckett at AFC Bex and Q at Gunner13 to take a deeper look at Arsenal's away win over Burnley. So, Q, how are we feeling today after Arsenal's second win of the season? Feeling feeling good. Feeling pretty good. Another one nil one nil win to the Arsenal. Another clean sheet. Um, yeah, can't don't have anything to complain about that. As long as we're getting three points, this man will be pretty happy. So good. Of course. Beckett, how are we doing? Great. Um we got the hard fought win over Burnley. Take that every time. I hate playing Burnley. Just get stuck in. Beat the shit out of you for 90 minutes, but we'll take the dub. Definitely. Let's get right into it. So what were you guys' thoughts when you first saw the starting lineup? Q, we can start with you. Um, My first thought was immediately, wow, Beckett is going to have a chub seeing this <laughs> starting lineup. It's exactly what he's been calling for, just a lone center defensive mid, get Emile Smith-Rowe and Odegaard in playing together, linking up. Um, still, you don't have to lose Pepe or Saka either with that. So, yeah, I thought it was a positive look. It looked like we were going to try to dominate possession, dominate the ball, fashion more chances. So, yeah, I was I was all right with it. I thought it looked positive. Same back four that kept a clean sheet in the last game, along with Ramsdale too. I know there was some speculation about whether Leno would get back in. He was just getting a rest against Norwich. But, yeah, hard to take goalie out after a clean sheet now two consecutive hopefully he's here to stay yeah definitely i mean i heard rumors that uh leno was going to be promised the tottenham game but i just don't see how that could happen at this point after ramsdale's had a clean sheet in every one of his appearances but beckett was q's assessment true did you have a chub when you saw the starting <laughs> lineup i i will i woke up like 40 minutes before game time and I, when i saw it i was like oh hell yeah <laughs> i got i got super excited um but yeah i mean it was when you see the way we ended the norwich game having esrm party come on i think it was directly foreshadowing for this game i think the idea was to try and get this some sort of familiarity with how we would go up against burnley and i think that this is the way we will probably line up against some of the smaller clubs in the front of the season or um, bottom half of the table, maybe. Um, obviously, there's some defensive weaknesses, frailties whenever you line up like this, but it, it definitely should once they familiarize themselves with playing in this shape. Odegaard and ESR in the same system, I think you'll get more creativity and fluidity in the attack. Um, this We haven't done it. We've done it now for maybe 90 minutes total because we brought Lakanga on, but maybe 90 minutes total. So they're not. it's not the most 
structurally set yet and it we won't reap all the benefits yet but i think as we progress through the season we could see this a few more times and the more we see it the better it'll look uh burnley packed it in kept things tight so still things we need to work on but yes i was very happy to see it <laughs> okay great um yeah i think with burnley playing the 4-4-2 and sitting those two rows of four super deep we definitely needed to get a look um at something a little bit more offensive especially in the midfield but um let's look at the first half q what were your thoughts on on just the first half performance from arsenal um i thought we started out not necessarily flat, but the uh, we didn't really take a hold of the game too too much during during the first half. I thought that Burnley was able to to control the ball and kind of sort of implement themselves onto the game. I know they created a few chances early, especially with Barnes getting loose in the near post or in the inside the box and flashed a header quite a ways wide of the near post, but still dangerous and. Scary part is he probably had time to bring that down and finish instead of going with the one time finish with the head. So, um, yeah, I thought though, even though we had some scary moments like that, I thought we were able to to do well. Obviously, we we get the goal in the first half. Some might say out of nothing, but we we're able to win the ball back and advance quickly. Saka takes takes it straight and towards the towards the box. They have to foul before he gets in the box. Otherwise, he's in on goal. And, uh, yeah, Odegaard does the rest with a really, really superb finish. Really, really nice. Beckett, you have anything to add? Yeah, it's nice to have a free kick taker like that with some finesse. I mean, we've had, we've seen Jaka hit a few. But was, I mean, most of his are deeper, and it's more power. He gets some curve on it, but I think his is more power beating the keeper that way. It was nice to see Odegaard just curl that one in. Um, tactically, I think it was a little bit different of a pr- approach than Norwich. Obviously, our press looked pretty good in Norwich. It's a little bit tougher to press Burnley because of the way they play. One, their physicality. We can't match that physicality, especially at our front five our attacking players Saka ESR Odegaard that's just not that that's not the type of player they are Pepe can get some physicality win some head balls which we've used them that way but no those guys aren't very physical so you have to adapt your play a little bit your press wasn't as good as Norwich as I mentioned because the way that Burnley play a lot of times they just hoof it up to those strikers so they completely bypass your press even if you try and shift them in their back line and get them to pass it a little bit it'll go out to their fullback and they are not afraid to just hoof it forward so it's it's tougher to analyze your press from that perspective because they can just they just bypass it so much but i think some of the movements that we had are what we would like to do in our press still it's just the way they play obviously uh, changed that but I th- there were there were some good interchanges in our midfield with Saka floating freely ESR drifting wherever he needed to go uh, but there were phases that we just got stuck into our passing ball passed it all in the back line and we'll, as I mentioned once we play this and get our movements down better 
hopefully it can free things up and we can be a little more direct. I think the first five minutes we we had we had a chance. Um, Odegaard floats a ball over yeah. back uh, outside back to Tierney, who, as we mentioned last week, I wanted to see him get in line. You, you wanted to have, see him play those cutbacks. He tries for it, kicks it too close to Pope, but Pope bobbles it. Pepe, I think Pepe could have done better there. Um, I think that but, ball has to go into Pepe instead of Alba. Like an yeah, actual I, cutback. I, it's still, yeah. it's, he gets in line, but it's still a cross. You need to cut that ball back away yeah, from he, Pope for the finish. Exactly. Yeah, he tries to, he tries to like go across the six. Yeah, he tried to feed him. It was almost a shot pass. Is. Yeah, he needs yeah. to go like top of the six to the 12 area or the PK yeah. spot almost with that pass. And then you hope someone's there. But yeah, I mean, I think the movement for that was very good. Odegaard's ball over the top was perfect. Um, so I mean, there's phases where you can see our style of play, how having two eights, Odegaard kind of floating, Saka kind of floating, how it frees different things up. But we'll we'll definitely need to gel into that and adjust to that style of play a little bit more. But there were some yeah. good signs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, going off of that, whenever they weren't necessarily finding those runs and finding that kind of smooth, fluid attack in the front. I felt like a lot of the game plan when people had no clue what to do with the ball because Burnley was sitting in so deep, I feel like people were just trying to funnel the ball to Odegaard and let him make something happen. So what were you guys' thoughts on Odegaard's play? Oh, yeah. I love watching Odegaard play just for the simple. I know it's it's just maybe oversaid, overhyped, and they're not necessarily the same player whatsoever. But the initials and the, the similarities between him and Mesut Ozil are just profound. It's the same way whenever Ozil is playing, he just floats around the field and players just know to give him the ball because they'll be able to get it back in such better space, more opportunity, be more dangerous when they get the ball back. So yeah, his vision and his ability to get on the ball, turn out, spray one the other way or just his thought process too. He you can tell you can tell he's always scanning the field. He always knows where where the open man's at. So I love I love watching him play. Yeah, and you obviously you buy him for his passing ability, um, which is something that we really didn't have out of our midfield. Someone who could just see those passes and break the lines, which it's exactly why you try to get him on the ball as much as possible. He is, without a doubt, the best passer on that squad. So if anyone can pl- break deep line, banks of four, tight, narrow defense, it's someone like him, which we saw in the phase with Tierney a couple of other times. He's the, uh, the lead-up to the free-kick goal that he scored. He receives the ball, looks mm-hmm. like he's going to play out to Tierney as he's done so many times, and then just cuts it straight inside to Sockham run, and he gets in 20 yards top of the box, and good things happen. The The play was opened up for us to score in open play, but obviously Sokka gets hauled down, and we see Odegaard put it in. But it, his ability to just see players and break those lines is exactly why you have them. And the Ozil comparisons, we will keep making them <laughs> throughout, I'm sure, his career with Arsenal because that was Ozil's specialty, and that's what we loved about Ozil when he was at his peak. So, yeah, I, I, th- I thought he had a pretty good game. There's 
he can play better, but um, for as deep as the defense stat, I thought he had a good game. And that free kick, oh, I just loved it. Loved it. Yeah, speaking about his his free kick, that obviously that was a beautiful curler, but um, I can't help but every time I see Pepe take a corner, um, as so many times I think he's hitting it straight into that first man. So what what is stopping? And Pepe is obviously more of an aerial threat than Odegaard. What is stopping Arteta from putting Odegaard on those corners, especially ones that he can whip in? Q, do you have any thoughts on that? It might be simply for Odegaard's work rate and I mean he showed last week his ability to get back in a counterattacking scenario like that his determination how athletic he is um yeah maybe he wants him up there just cleaning up the trash I'm not sure I'm sure that they're that it's something that will obviously be looked at and worked on and improved upon hopefully I mean we have a set piece coach coach for Christ's sake yeah so yeah, and I I would probably probably agree with that. Um, if if a guy's not pay, making it past the first man, they need to make an in-game switch. Maybe Odegaard needs to be the one to be like I'll take this one. If you, you I'll give you I'll give you two chances if you can't get past the first guy. But I, maybe the the initial idea to have Pepe taking them is Pepe's. That's his specialty on his crosses is the left footed when he cuts back and hits it. And I think the only reason you might want Pepe is he, he probably whips the ball a little bit more, a little bit crisper. But again, that's, that doesn't matter if you're hitting the first guy in the face. I mean, if you're not even giving your attackers in the box a chance, then yeah, I, we've seen Saka take some before. We, I think Odegaard probably took a few last year. I don't really care who's taking it as long as they get it into a dangerous area. But yeah, that free kick. We have a specialty coach. I mean, we have to sort some things out on the. Maybe send Pepe and Odegaard over there, have him touch it to Odegaard, and then Pepe yeah. gets around, create a little better of an angle that he's used yeah. to. Yeah. I don't know, but. No, that's a good idea. I just yeah. cannot stand not creating a chance off a corner. It's a free cross, and we yeah. need to create every single chance possible to score at this point with two goals throughout the uh, first five games of the season. so Yeah, I agree. Burnley's always going to be tough on corner kicks, but give us a chance. I mean, you have Tomiyasu now, who's pretty good in the air. Gabriel's back, pretty good in the air. So just, I mean, give them a chance. Who knows what could happen? That you get a yard of space, and you can you don't even need to win a header, really. It just comes to you. So, yeah, I, I would agree. Speaking of the free kick and how prolific – of a strike it was. It's a question for you. When was the last time we had someone who was pretty consistent? Like, you know, he gets on the free kick and you're like, okay, we've got a pretty decent shot at making this. Not, oh, Lord, I hope he hits the net this time instead of skying it yeah. or wide left. Yeah, I mean, when well, who thinking about when we've won free kicks in the past two seasons? You're like, Jesus Christ, it's Dava Luis. Yeah, here it comes <laughs> here comes three points through the uprights. Yeah. I mean, I think you're you're probably most taken would probably be Alba and Pepe hitting them, or Alba, Pepe, and Laka. 
Uh, Jaka hit a few, but we, as we mentioned, those are more longer range. But yeah, finesse. Like I would much rather have Odegaard on those. Pepe's Pepe's a ball or two on them, and we saw him score some last year. But yeah, when you you add Odegaard's ability from where we were in the middle of the field, you could have Odegaard, you could have Pepe both line up there and add a right-footed player, and you just confuse the goalie more. But yeah, I oh man, if he can if he can continue that, I think that Nick Pope was a little a little alarmed with the with the party run up as well. It kind of set him off balance. He wasn't able to to get over. And Odegaard's free kick wasn't necessarily nestled in the corner. It was still a decent hit. Yeah. But I think just having that alternate, you know, run up also put him off, which takes me back to the old. This is who I'm thinking of standing over the ball whenever we had Alexis Sanchez on the right foot and Mesuduos was standing on the left foot. I mean, Alexis has probably taken those, but how many did he just absolutely bang in near post, far post, across the goalie, right over the goalie? That's probably the last player that. When we got a free kick, I'm like, okay, this is a decent scoring opportunity. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, if when as close as that free kick was, you almost needed a little more loaded finesse anyway to get it yeah. to be able to get it up, and, up down. and down. Yeah. Um. So we had which Odegaard, that's the type of player he is, but we they had their four or five man wall. We had like a three or four man wall of like Gabriel, Ben White. I don't know who else was on it, but like yeah, I mean Pope's probably vision was blocked a little bit because it's almost a seven man wall in front of him. But yeah, it it didn't have to be perfect corner. It it, it just floated and got up and down. So that was yeah. I would love to have more opportunities to score from free kicks or at least have the hope of that happening. And when you right. see him deliver like that, it definitely gives that to you. Did you find it weird that Burnley's wall didn't jump? Like in two unison? Of them did. Only two of two them, of them did. did. Yeah, two of them didn't. So, I don't know. Odegaard went o- right over the first guy that didn't jump. Yeah, is it, <laughs> is it ironic that they didn't? Like, or was that planned? You know, like surely there you can communicate when you're standing two feet away from each other, like, hey, we're jumping. So my thought on that is uh John Dyke doesn't seem like the guy who puts someone on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. He doesn't no. seem like the guy that lays someone behind his wall to block a free kick. And where that was, if you jump, that is very reasonable to go under the wall. Uh, because it was so close and I, it's almost harder to try and go over and i think if i think you probably should have them jump still but yeah i don't know maybe just miscommunication out of them but i'm glad they didn't <laughs> certainly i don't know if he's getting it even if he does jump honestly i think it maybe the, i mean if he yeah. anyway yeah i I'm just curious i don't you don't ever see half the wall jump half not I, I think I think if they have someone laying there, they all jump. But yeah, they, right. I, like I said, I, I don't. I don't know the size of that wall. I don't know if they had a spare player too lay down. <laughs> they had like that's six true, people true. in there. I mean, that, that's part of it too. Is like Burnley's probably like, listen, we're big enough anyway. Do we really need to jump? <laughs> but you could argue like, yeah, two more feet at least jumping. So yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, speaking, you were talking about it earlier. Burnley's plan was clearly to just kind of huff balls in to the box, and that was even their build-up play to get 
get out of Arsenal's pressure, but how did you make of Arsenal's backline um, performance in dealing with those balls in the air? Because there were countless, seems like that's all Burnley's attack was, just hoofing balls into the box. So, Beckett, what did you make of the backline and dealing with all of those? I think I think it gave us a little bit of trouble. Um, you could see times in the first half, especially, that it was probably after our initial attacking phase in the first five minutes, probably the next couple of minutes or so, they had a couple chances where you just kick it up to Ashley Barnes or Chris Wood and they're knocking it down for each other. And, and listen, we know Ben White isn't the best aerial threat and you put someone like Ashley Barnes up against him who relishes just winning head balls. And that it's always going to pose a little bit of a threat against us. But I think in general, we sorted it out. Okay. The extra protection of having Tamiyasu and Gabriel can kind of offset the lack of physicality you have out of Ben White, but it did give us some, some issues at points in the game. And you could see there was one point where Ashley Barnes, he, they didn't kick it up soon enough. And I think he ended up getting called off sides, but he's like, dude, this is working. Just send the ball up as soon as you get it. He's just yelling to his fullback. He's like, don't, don't take a touch, put your head down, look up, see where I'm at. Hoof the fucking ball. <laughs> One of us is going to win this thing and we'll knock it down. So I think when you have a situation like that, the, the thing you have to really be worried about or thinking about is second balls. Ben White probably not going to win the first ball on most of those occasions, 50-50 duels, but can we get the second ball? And usually that's where party cleans up is finding those second balls predicting that. So it did cause some issues, um, but yeah, we, in the end we managed it well enough. Um, there were areas, there were times that it gave me a little pause, but yeah. What do you think? Keith? Yeah. Um, I think that you're right. It definitely, definitely causes trouble. I think that, having the two strikers up there, both physical, it really showed maybe a lack of cohesion between the center backs, the outside backs. I think you can tell they made it noticeable that these guys haven't played a whole lot together. As I mentioned earlier, that Ashley Barnes moment where he just slips in the seam and all of a sudden he's wide open for a header in the box. Um, but I don't think that we were necessarily out-muscled or outplayed. I think we did a well enough job to at least challenge and contest and not give up free easy headers, if that makes sense. I think that we did we did a good enough job fighting. Um Yeah, I just think that yeah, you could you could still see hints that these guys are still still getting together, still figuring out how to play what they can and can't do. So, yeah, I thought we did all right. To that, I mean, you might see the weakness there out of Ben White and, as we said, the issues that can be caused from it. But we're still challenging for it, and that's why you have someone like Party. I know there was a couple times if, if Ben White's dragged outside to an outside channel, Party would drop in and find the spots that he was vacating and just – he just makes you more solidified. And, and if we can get Thomas Party the way 
Thomas Marty played at Atletico and the, just breaking shit up. And if we can get him at his best, which is why we bought him, he will, even when we are lacking some physicality against teams like that, he can be the difference maker and make up for it for when we're exposed. So, yeah, I, I, it can cause problems, but that's why you have other players on the pit players on the pitch to kind of counteract some of it we aren't the most physical team so physical teams like Burnley are going to give us a little bit of trouble but right. having party there can certainly mitigate the risk you're right there were there were moments where party just dropped in and we were playing a fight back you know there were certain times whenever Burnley kind of sort of pinned us in where it looked like we were playing three at the back um and also you're right about especially when you're not in the box, maybe when you're talking about when they're hoofing it up, winning that first ball isn't necessarily the big deal. It's all about, can we get a hold of the second ball? Then can we bring it down? Then can we play? Yeah, let those big guys knock it backwards towards their own goal, and then we pick it up, and we're starting to counter it in again. So, yeah, the second ball is is almost, almost more important than the first, almost all the time, unless it's in the box. Yeah, we had to we had to save ourselves a couple times on some second balls, whether it was balls that were dropping or whatnot. But a little bit of last ditch def- defending from Gabriel in a couple moments definitely saved us. But um, one of my main points in bringing this up was you can't really I can't think of a cross that was outside of or inside of Ramsdale's zone that he could have got that he didn't come and get. I think he came and got so many, so many crosses out of the air from whether it be from corners or long balls in, and it just shows that he's relishing the big moment as a as a young keeper and just kind of embraces the physicality of the game. So, what did what did you make of uh, Ramsdale's performance, Beckett? I I, I thought he was commanding. I, he and listen, whenever we talk. Whenever we say something good about Ramsdale, that's not saying something bad about Leno either. But I think you have to judge the player who's playing and the way they play. He is being decisive. We noticed that in Norwich. We're seeing that here. He's coming for aerial balls. Uh, He's punching them. He's scrapping his way through traffic. He's getting whatever he can on it. He's, He's being a commanding presence on the field. He's trying to organize our back line. And um, he's been he's been good in the air in that sense. He's been good with his feet. He's he's just a good presence to have back there. And he's battling for players on the team when Tierney's getting stood over and fouled by a Burnley player. He's getting up in that guy's face, and all those things are things that you just love to see. So I I thought I thought he had a good game in that set. One thing to mention, which goes on the point that. I want to I want to reiterate that me mentioning this is not a slight on Leno or whatsoever, but we think back to that first game where Pontus Jackson holds Leno, Brentford get a header on goal, it puts us down two nil, and Leno kind of just stands there. He can't he can't move off his line. I noticed today, you know, Ashley Wood or Ashley Barnes, Chris Wood, go up to try to get in front. What does he do? But grab Tierney, put him right between himself and the Burnley player and just start shoving Tierney oh, into dear. the into the Burnley player. Just create giving himself space so he doesn't get stuck. So he has the freedom to move offline, which is 
some some ingenuity that you just love to see. You know, I can't foul my own player, right? Surely not. So yeah, yeah. And tyranny, poor poor guy has to sit there and just get pushed into the the giant tree. But tyranny, I mean, I'm sure bad. he, yeah, he loves that. He loves that. He'll do anything for the bad. So no, I thought I that think... was nice to see. And just you're right, his communication. He really he really is out there encouraging, fighting for the team. I I, I like to see it. He, he adds a little grit, which is what you love seeing out of Tierney is the grit that Tierney gives you. And so now you have your keepers showing that grit and your keepers like kind of getting you amped the same way Tierney does. And it's like, holy shit. I think our keeper pumping me up more than anyone else on the field. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fun to see. We, we, when was the last time we had a keeper that was like that? I mean, it's rejuvenating. It's just, yeah yeah so again there are things that he does better than what we've seen from leno the aerial presence is is a huge difference but i think right now we are in such a good position because you have two very solid goalkeepers and you can just go with whoever's in on form at the time and just ride that horse so it'll be interesting to see what we do with the cup game if we stick with Ramsdale and just try and keep building on that continuity back four and stuff where I think you kind of have to give that one to Leno I mean it, it'll be tough just it'll to preserve value to, to show yeah. other teams he's still yeah. decent yeah. he doesn't have that much I mean, time keep, left on his contract he's confidence. probably gone yeah you can give him confidence too so I don't know it'll be interesting if those rumors are true of Leno getting the Spurs game I think like he's almost got to get get in there and get some some time because if he comes in for the Spurs game, he has not played in forever, especially if he doesn't play in the game midweek. But um, kind of staying on Ramsdale, how about that challenge that got overturned by VAR? Um, I don't think there's many keepers that are making that challenge cleanly um as he did and i personally think that ben white should be doing his laundry for about a week after that because that's just so lazy such a lapse of focus but yeah q what'd you make of that moment so one thing that was drilled into me for since i can remember as being a soccer player and something i have tried to drill into my own players as recently as yesterday during our game is that if you're going to miss hit a pass, it always has to be over hit. Can never under hit a pass. That's how you send a teammate to the hospital. That's how you give the op- uh, opposition an opportunity to counter. Look, if he overhits that pass, yeah, maybe he gives away a corner. There's still time for our teammates to get back there in that sense. We get back, all right, we get set up. But when you under hit that pass, you just invite the opposition to press up to get on you and yeah i think that yeah you're you're right in the sense that that ben white should be on his knees you know kissing kissing his boots ramsdale's boots after that because he really did save him and the rest of the team with that challenge um the boots his boots both of them (laughs) specifically the right one that that got the uh the little tiny touch of the ball that it needed in order to uh, save that from being a pin. I love how he immediately knows that he got ball and there's not a foul on that too. He's already oh, protesting. Yeah. No way. Before he even makes the call, before he even makes the call, he's saying, no, no way. 
You cannot fall for this shit. Um, I don't even know yeah, if the ball was out of bounds yet. Yeah. Oh, no. It was probably still in play. But props to the ref. He he kept it school. He didn't. He just went over. So it only took him about, what, 10 seconds looking at it to be like, okay, yeah. So I, I can't remember the last time VAR worked in our favor. I'm loving it now. It, about two years ago, maybe even last year, we're we're getting the sack on that, and that's going to be a that's a penalty. So, yeah, you love to see that. Yeah, hopefully VAR goes in our way a little bit more um, for the rest of the season than it has in the previous seasons. But Beckett, did you have anything to add on that? Yeah, um, Q, you should tell Lee Dixon that he should always overhit the ball, <laughs> see what he thinks. He'll nuke it into his own net. Oh, he'll um, chip the goalie next time, yeah? Yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I can't harp on it enough, but just having your keeper be decisive saves you in that instant. If he hesitates even at all, that's a pin because he's not going to he's not gonna get to the ball in time. It's a pin or he's touched around and it's a goal. He doesn't yeah, have to take yeah. a pin. Exactly. So, I, I mean, I you just – him being decisive and reading that his player under hits the ball and just getting out there as quick as possible saves not only himself, but saves the team and Ben White. So yeah, I just, that's just incredible play. And I knew right away, as soon as I saw it, I was like, if that is a pen, I'm going to be fucking pissed <laughs> because it didn't, it did not look like he got much of the player anyway from live. I was like, there's no way he gets the player there without getting the ball. I mean, obviously we couldn't see it great, so he could have gotten the little touch around. But yeah, I I thought right away I was like, that's not a pen. Although when I saw the pass, I was like, what in the fuck is happening? Yeah, a team like Burnley, you can't afford to give any sort of lifeline because no. that's what they hang on to all game. They they literally go into a game thinking, okay, we're going to defend like hell for 90 minutes and hopefully something breaks for us. We're going to keep a clean sheet, keep it at one. We'll try to find some way to get a point. And we almost gave them that way with that with that back pass. But, hey, we get out of it, can't dwell on it too much. Turn around, don't make the same mistake next week. That's all, that's yeah. all you can do. Yeah, just thankfully... Um... It didn't cost us, but on the first half, do you guys have any other thoughts, anything you wanted to add before we move on to the second half? Uh, I don't think so. We kind of already talked about the second half. I mean, that opportunity yeah. is in the second half. Um, well, what would you make of – I know we might have jinxed it last week because we said KT and Sokka just week in, week out have stellar performances, but I thought Sokka – Socked a little, looked a little bit off, looks not himself. Um, so did you have anything to add on that, Beckett? Yeah, I, I kind of noticed the same thing. He had a few heavy touches that, like, he received one ball top of the box, uh, which would have been a great opportunity. And it, his first touch was just four yards and right to Nick Pope. So I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily going to be a trend. It's just, this was a game where the physicality can catch up with you pretty quickly. And if you that's just, exactly what I was thinking, it's a bit too you, physical for that. Yeah. And, and there's those games are going to happen. Um, 
you hope that they're few and far between and we're not going to play a team as physical as Burnley every week. So he's he's floating in those spaces where the most pressure is. When he receives the ball, he's getting fouled almost every time he touches it. They know he's basically our best player. So um, that's going to happen. And you, you can't – you're just not going to have the greatest game every time. But – the thing that you love to see is that he kept pushing and kept trying to do things and he was creating things still. It wasn't, it wasn't his best performance. It was a little sloppy at times, but he was still pushing the team, trying to get them to do things and creatively. So yeah, it, it wasn't his best performance, but there's signs there that you still love to see out of a young player like that. Yeah, I can, couldn't agree anymore. Um, yeah, bad games happen. Everyone has them, but to see that you still have, maybe it's not even confidence, but just the drive to at least try to do something for the team. Cause everyone knows you can have a terrible game, but soccer takes one moment to change it. One moment of brilliance. So to have the confidence and the drive to just continually try and try and try, um, it's really encouraging, especially cause he's so young. Yeah, and as I said, bad games happen, but I don't think any serious fan who is actually serious about supporting Arsenal can really have any gripes about a player having a bad game when it's still evident that they're giving it all for the badge. So, I like you said, Saka, Tierney, don't do that week in, week out. I, you can never complain too much. You can chalk it up as a bad game on to the next one. You know there'll be plenty more plenty more beneficial performances and, and promising performances from him. Um, and we still get the results. So at the end of the day, who cares? And, I mean, it's it's a little bit different because he it may have not been his best game, but he's still very much involved in your play. Yeah. It's yes, not like yeah, he's yeah. just ghosting through the game and he had a bad game and you didn't even see him. You're like, well, where was Socket today? He, was he even on the pitch? No, you. he was still very instrumental to the way we tried to play. He was still involved. He was getting the ball. He created that goal opportunity for Odegaard. So, yeah, I mean, in that sense is why you would say, well, he's really not getting below a six if you were giving a match rating because yeah he could had some bad touches his passing wasn't perfect that's why you knock him down but he was still pushing us and involved in every phase of our play so yeah i mean you you can't fault him too much just because it's the physicality in that game is just something that he hasn't even seen that many times in his career at this point he's probably played Burnley. i don't even know how many times played Burnley. maybe two three times now but they're always going to be a tough physical battle and not everyone not every player is suited for that and i think arteta said something along those lines is we aren't the most suited for that type of game and i don't necessarily think he meant like formation wise i think he meant like we our team's just not that big and sometimes those that creates a problem and makes it a lot trickier just because of that physicality well, and you're, you're exactly right earlier when you talk about we're not suited for the game in the sense that we can't go and press because they will completely bypass the press. Yeah, They'll just 
as soon as they see a step, they're just going to boot it up and, you know, get in behind the press. So, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of, a lot of opportunity for Saka to shine when he can't show off his work right in the press. And he's getting, not necessarily, I wouldn't say he's getting bullied, but he's getting hacked down. He's just, just so physical. Everyone there's, you know, got probably 40, 50 pounds on him. So I think it's a hard game, especially for him to be successful in, but to see him still trying and still trying to pull things off and still creating chances is, is positive within its own self. Yeah, and by bringing that up, I didn't think he was the only one who struggled a bit technically in the game. Either I know there's Pepe and Alba and a couple scenarios were trying to combine with each other, and that final ball was just yeah. was just off, and it led to us not getting as good of a shot or not getting a shot at all. So, um, and we talked about this last week too. So, what are your guys' thoughts on like how do how does that get corrected? How does that final ball and that killer instinct kind of get corrected do you have any ideas for for what that looks like time i think time yeah these guys yes they've played together but you have to see the success you know happen a few times before you start making it consistent and yeah i think just a few a few more days weeks months on the training pitch not maybe hopefully not months um just playing together in the formation that that we play, um, I think that that it, it gets it gets there. Um, yeah, Becca, do you have anything to add? I, I yeah, I agree. I think time is a big factor there, and when you when you everything's not flowing the way a game should normally flow because of the way that Burnley's set up. You, your opportunities to run with the ball are few and far between. And so, especially later in a game, you when you haven't played those passes, like for the entire game, it can you, you can miss some passes that you normally would be expected to make. And it just kind of throws you out of sync a little bit. So, again, it's kind of the nature of that game. I don't – there will be games where everything clicks and we beat a team – that's sitting in like that 4-0 or something, 3-1, and those passes do come off. But, yeah, I agree. There were, there were some sloppy passes. Um, I noticed a couple times ESR, Pepe, they were they were pushing the team forward really well and progressing the ball through dribbling, but then that pass to slip someone in was just like two or three yards behind or slow, and they had it just brought our whole attack down. But, yeah, I think once – that was the first time we had all of those guys playing together. You you build on that. You get more continuity with your attack, your passing patterns, and uh, that's all stuff that he's working, Arteta's working on, um, and the movements that they make and the passes that they make. That's that's all stuff that will just develop as we progress through this season. Yeah, I mean, the game definitely opened up a little bit um, in some phases where it was more more end to end, but with how deep Burnley sit, like were you guys expecting very much out of out of Alba from this game, given that he's not really the 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 striker to hold it up and kind of knock it around. So I kind of felt like he was kind of out of the play, out of the scenario for majority of the game when they are just sitting back in two rows of four and we kinda of have to break them down in their own box. So do you have any thoughts on that? 
Um, I wasn't expecting very much from Alba necessarily on the break, getting in behind, getting in the channels. Um, I think with with Alba, you just you know he's a fox in the box. You know they're gonna sit deep in this sort of game once they're once we get the ball, you know, we're floating it around that eight man block that they put in the box and just outside their eighteen. I think you're just relying on him to somehow find something, some little tiny space in the box and just getting a foot on it, getting a head on it. He's so good at just finding half space and and being able to slot at home that low driven cross or something like that. So I think that's more so what you're relying on. You're relying on all five of the other players, the parties, the Odegaards, the Smith Rows, is something to create the Pepe's to create the chance, you're just hoping Alba is somewhere in the mix to get a foot, toe, leg, hip, whatever on it, put it in the back of the net. Didn't happen, but I thought he was still dangerous. I thought he created a few opportunities for others as well, which is good to see out of your strikers too. So, Yeah, and you could argue maybe playing Lacazette, who's probably a little bit more suited to that, but you did, like you said, you have Saka floating free. You have ESR out there. You have Odegaard out there. You don't need Lacazette dropping deep. Honestly, the approach that Burnley took takes where they just need an opportunity to be created, like one opportunity throughout the game, and they hope they can pounce on it. That's kind of why you play Alba in this game. <laughs> you hope for that magic, like you said, the spark, and just one ball that gets popped into the air past Tarkovsky and Alba's there to slot at home or something. It didn't happen, but he also is his movement because of his pace and stuff will draw the defense off out of position. On Masaka, we run to get Odegaard's free kick. Alba runs across the top of the box, pulls both center backs with him. That's why there's such a gap there. The outside back starts to step in. Saka was about to slip Pepe when he gets fouled. So the movement still opens up areas of the pitch for you, even if he's not instrumental in the actual play or the buildup of it. So still things that he can do and his movement, drifting out wide, stuff like that, it still impacts how we play as a team. And all of that is instrumental to the way we build up and hopefully we create goals going forward. The pace is dangerous too from him in the sense that he keeps the defenders honest. He has to keep them checked in. As you as you mentioned, he commands so much attention because with that pace, the moment you lose track of him with the ability that all these other players have on the ball, he's slipped in and he's gone. There's good luck catching. You know what I mean? He's roadrunner yeah. off to the races. So yeah. just having that, that difference between him and Lacazette in a game like this, you you don't necessarily want your striker melting back into the midfield, yeah. Especially when they sit back so deep, because then there's no danger in the box. You know, they got two free center backs to so step in head, step in step in tackle. So yeah. you almost need someone pushing that line backwards and keeping them honest. And so yeah, I don't I don't have any problems with the way Alba played. I thought he did well. I mean, it's, Burnley makes it so tough to play attacking football against. So, yeah, I, I think he did fine. I, I have no problems with it. We were mentioning the uh, physical battle 
that was going on with Burnley and how physical, especially their whole team is, and especially up top. But um, what do you guys make of Gabriel's dealing with their physicality? I don't think he will ever shy away from a battle like that. I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. It is so nice to have him back in the squad. Um, it means so much for our back line. So much. It, I mean, not having him, think of that game differently. If you don't have him and you have Oblomari there, or if you, if like Ben White could be left on an island if he doesn't have a physical presence next to him, because he's not, Gabriel is pushing Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes, getting them positionally away from where that ball's getting kicked up to every time. He's winning headers. He's recovering. He's just, he was everywhere on the pitch. It was just, it was very fun to watch him play that game. And like you said, he relishes it. So it even his energy just gets higher every time he wins a battle. And it's just, it was fun to see. I think he was the stand, one of the standout performers of that game. Yeah, he reminds me of a way more polished Gabriel Polista back when we used to have him and just reminiscent of those battles he would have with Diego Costa even before we got him whenever they were both in the Spanish League playing. You know, there's some few incidents where Diego Costa tries to walk him down, you know, bully him a bit, and he stands right up to it. Gabriel, same way. I mean, I think about last year whenever Kane put in that horrendous shoulder challenge about two seconds after he played a ball and Gabriel's right back up, ready to fight. You know, doesn't shy away from anything. So, yeah, I love Yeah, You, you have to have that in your back line. You have to have someone. Tierney, yeah, he's there, but he's he's out wide on the island. He's up in the attack. You have to have someone with the with the metal with the, who brings some force, who, you know, lets the opposition and, know, hey, we're here, we're ready to defend. I'm ready to battle for 90 minutes. And I think he's so much better adjusted to the Premier League now. And you can kind of see it. He looks so much more comfortable out there. He's reading the game really well. When when Ashley Barnes got behind Ben White and Tommy Asu and him just like beeline and they cleared it out of the air, I was like, man, that is, that's a hell of a play from Gabriel. And his just recognition of the play and different things defensively, he could be a unit if he continues to develop like this. Arteta was full of praise after the game too, as well. I saw that he mentioned the fact that he believes that Gabriel has a tremendously bright future ahead of him, which is, which is high praise from the manager as well, especially considering what is he 22, 23 now, Gabriel 23, 24, maybe I think in that yeah, range. So either way, either way, still plenty of time to grow. And he's already, already a, Tremendous defender as well. Yeah, and to to that also, that's two games in a row now where you had, aside from wish, glad that they're not here, you have not even talked about another defender being part of this back line. Yeah, so don't even mention it yet. Don't even mention yeah. it. Don't even mention the name. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, uh, that's that's just my point. They've been playing very well and you hope they can continue to build as a back four and just be a solid unit for us two clean sheets in a row you will you will take that all day yes things you hope we can can score more goals against opposition like this but give me a clean sheet 
and we'll see what we can do from there. Hey, yeah, That's we found we to build on. we all we're guaranteed points with the clean sheet, right? Guaranteed yeah. points. So, also, yeah, just to mention, even though I say don't mention, I'm going to mention it with the back line being 24, 23, 23, 23. Do you see Ben White's lack of physicality getting him into the midfield in the future once the unnamed person comes back? Or is it a back three? Um, is it? I mean, we'll see. Uh, you, it'll allow you to do different things. Do we cash out on one of the players? I, I don't like that idea because you still need depth. Like if you lose one of them, you're right back in the hole that you were in the first before three games yeah, of yeah, season. Yeah. So I, I think you, there's still a way to get him 20 games, especially if you have Europe 25 games. And for like him playing at Marseille, playing 30 games there, starting 30 games. Gendouzi, right? Gendouzi? <laughs> yeah, versus <laughs> him coming to Arsenal and still starting 25 to 30 games and getting Europe and Cups and stuff like that. Like, I still think there's plenty of time for him to play. And he brings a whole different animal on a game like against Burnley where you could just put him and Gabriel maybe, and that's a, that's a thing. But, no, I think Ben White still gives you, even with his lack of physicality, gives you recovery speed and stuff like that where, who knows, maybe you'll have different ways you can use players once you have them. But, yeah, I, I just continue to build on this back line and see what happens. If, if the aerial... Um, threat becomes too much of an issue, would you entertain the idea of having a back line of Tierney and then Gabriel, Ben White, and Tomiyasu as three the three center backs and then maybe Maitland-Niles as a right wing back? Yeah, and I, I certainly think we could still see that this season. Um, shoot, when we play next time we play City or next time we play Chelsea when they're playing a three back. If we match systems with them, we will probably see Tomiyasu come in to center back role. I mean, because of the versatility that the players have that we've brought in, it just creates more versatility for your squad in general and flexibility of things that you can do to disrupt another team. And I think that's kind of something that Arteta wanted. He has a set idea on how he wants to play, but you're not going to be able to play that way against every team. So having the ability to switch it up when you need to and having the players who can fit those roles is just huge for what this team can do going forward. Yeah, I think as excited as it it makes me that they're all that young, I think their versatility is just right up there with it. Um, what makes me look forward to the coming games, just how we'll line up against all the different opposition. But um, speaking of that, what are you? How are you thinking we line up against Spurs? That that is tricky. That's tricky. I think we see mostly the same team, uh, but Jaka will be back. I think he'll probably bring Shaka back into the team. Whether or not we want to see that, I think he will. I think he'll probably go Shaka party at back line. 
Odegaard, Pepe, Saka, Alba. I think ESR gets dropped for the North London Derby. Um, just because, I mean, the ability that Pepe's then showing to go at people more and more on the right, you need someone who can do that. And so I think that's probably what we go with. I don't think we can go with this same lineup that dual eights. It might be playing a little too aggressive of a style. Um, but who knows? I think with Shaka back, we might we, he might go right back into the team. But we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. I mean, I agree with the Smith row probably having to be dropped. I mean, he's kind of in a tricky scenario where Odegaard and Pepe are both looking really good. And just at this point, you're not going to drop Saka for ESR. Um, but I just hope that we bring Zombie instead of Xhaka into that midfield. I, I would like that as well, but I just being playing in the premier league is one thing. Adjusting to the Premier League, Zombie has he's shown the ability to adjust pretty well, and he's looked good. But throwing you straight into a North London derby, it could be a little too much for him. I I I would be okay with it if I saw him starting. I don't think I would, that would be a problem for me. But I think that Shaka comes back into the team get for the North London derby. Q, what are your uh, what are your thoughts? How do you think we'll line up against Spurs? Um, yeah, you know, I'm hoping that that Leno rumor is not true. I don't think you can take kid new signing out 30 million after two clean sheets, especially for North London Derby. I could see it in Zombie's case in the sense that he's never experienced the North London Derby before. Um, but yeah, Ramsdale, I mean, shoot, he's played Tottenham for two years now, two times a year. He's been in the Premier League. I, I, I don't think that that's a necessarily a big step for him. He knows what derbies are about. Um, shoot, he grew up watching it. So yeah. That grit um, actually might be better for yeah, Darby. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I with Beckett's point, I sadly I can see Jaka sliding back in. I would love to see Zombie. I think he might honestly give you more defensively. I've I honestly might prefer Maitland-Niles in there over Xhaka if Maitland-Niles is willing to work. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Mikel Arteta seems to just absolutely love Granit Xhaka. So I can see him stepping in. Um, I also can see your point in the sense that Emil Smith-Rowe is probably the most droppable of those other options. I mean, Odegaard's probably first name on the team sheet followed by probably Pepe and then Saka. Excluding the back four, I think that's set. Uh, so, yeah, sadly, I think ESR is probably the one to drop, but we saw what a he tremendous impact in. he made. Yeah, we saw what a tremendous impact he made off the bench against Norwich, um, yeah. especially once those Spurs legs are a bit more tired, um, a little bit more prone to mistakes. I think that he can definitely come off the bench for, 25, 30 minutes and de- at least create a few chances, make a difference. So, yeah, he'll definitely get in. Otherwise, I don't see any real reason to change very much at all. I mean, two clean sheets in a row, two results. Don't fix it if it's not broken. You know what I mean? Um, oh, to your point, to which 
I could kind of see, I could perhaps see a lineup like this going out, going out again in the sense that you know Spurs, there's inherently you're going to defend, especially with Nuno. Actually dropped a, a goose egg today, three nothing against Chelsea. So hopefully they're not ready to bounce back off that. Hopefully it gets them down in the dumps and they stay down there. Um, but yeah, I could see maybe a little bit more attacking lineup if we're feeling ambitious. We're we're coming off two wins. They're coming off dropped points. Um, but yeah, I think the Jaka steps back in, and ESR is sadly the one who gets relegated to the bench and is forced to come on thirty minutes, given that chance to make a difference. So he'll probably. I mean, he would probably get in at against AFC Wimbledon on. Wednesday or midweek, but also, I mean, I, th- I think that if we did play a little bit more attacking lineup, we might be a little bit more exposed to counter. Maybe that's something he works on this week. I'm sure it is, and then we could certainly do it, but part of <laughs> one thing that is nice, though, is we think Jaka might get back in the team. That's not nice, but before this year that wasn't Jaka. nice to say that <laughs> no <laughs> but before this point Jaka was guaranteed that he would be yeah. getting back in the team and we wouldn't even have this discussion is is he going to it's you know he's going to so having sandy and other options that could play there and just being able to actually think maybe he doesn't start is a little bit more optimism for us and uh it, it goes to the point that we're losing our constant reliability on Granit Xhaka to be in our team. And I think that is big for us going forward in the future is that he doesn't need to start every game. Let me just put some clarification on some of this stuff too, since, you know, big man Sam at Cannon Side Chats on Instagram is getting all these views from, you know, players. In the event that we do have someone listen, we're not... We don't, nothing personal against Grand Chaka at all. We just want our team to win. <laughs> and sometimes we feel like, you know, Grand Chaka in, in the team doesn't necessarily give us the greatest chance possible to get no, those results. I mean, we, we, we've talked before about Grand Chaka can be a very good soccer player. He can be. He has shown that ability to do that for Switzerland. He has shown that ability before. And in some cases, he's shown that ability for Arsenal. He's had very good games for Arsenal. The consistency is not there for us. And the, the way that we play football in the Premier League is not the same as Switzerland in the Euros. So there's just there's a difference in the way we're trying to play and the way we're trying to play, we're not suiting, setting our team up for Xhaka's suitability, which kind of is the way Switzerland plays. So we're not trying to base our whole team around Xhaka. That's that's the only real criticism is he's not going to function at his best with us in most cases because we're not playing the most suitable football to him. And I think because of that, we get excited about other players that can f- play that role. And... Again, I if he went to another team, I, I hope he succeeds. I mean, if 
if it all works out for him, that'd be awesome. If he continues to be a part of Arsenal, anytime he plays, I want him to succeed. So I, it's not necessarily that I hate Granit Xhaka. I just think that the way we play, there's other players better suited for that role and other players who I think have a better future at Arsenal that could play that position. So, Yeah, that's, that's, that is exactly the nail on the head. And there's no denying the fact that Granit Xhaka can be a world-class player. There's a reason why world-class managers such as Jose Mourinho are infatuated by him and, you know, want him to be a part of, of their system and their, their program. So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the coffin or nail on the head in the sense that, yeah, he's just just not (laughs) suited for the style that we want to play going forward. Right. I mean, so enough of the Granite Jaka talk before my blood pressure goes through the roof. Um, Obviously, Spurs, you mentioned earlier, 3-0 loss to Chelsea today at home. What are your hot takes for next our, our game against Spurs? Q, you got any hot takes? You got any score prediction, goal score, anything? What do you got? Um, Score prediction, I'm not going to get too, 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 too crazy. I'm thinking maybe I'm going to stay positive, though. 2-1 Arsenal, I'll say... Harry Kane bags the Spurs goal. He loves scoring against Arsenal as a given. Um, For Arsenal, I'm going to say that Pepe finally gets his opportunity. He's been dangerous the last three or four games. Uh, And I'll say that Bukayo Saka gets the other. Maybe we'll throw in an Alba assist. Alba and Odegaard assist. Beckett, you got anything? I would go um, Alba grabs two, Pepe gets one, we win 3-1. Who scores this first goal? Son, assisted by Kane. I was going to say, you already know who assisted my Kane goal. It's got to be Son. Yeah. (laughs) There's no one else. Every time every I mean, obviously Harry Kane gives you all sorts of problems, but I think every time we play Spurs, Son just <laughs> I'll one up you. My Harry Kangle is a free kick foul conceded by none other than Granite Shaka. Uh, well, that's the take. That is a hot take. <laughs> oh jeez. I think I can't wait uh, to get back on the pod next week and talk about it. Yeah, we're we're gonna get on the pod after the Spurs game and Granite Shaka is gonna be Q's weekly wanker. <laughs> you can you can clip this right now. I'm going two one, Pepe goal, Smith Rowe goal off the bench. Just dramatic scenes um, in the North London Derby. So that is my hot take. But as as Beckett mentioned, do we have any weekly wankers out there? Q? I'll, no, I'll start this. I'm gonna go. My <laughs> weekly wanker for this past week is the. Burnley fans, they're just the Burnley fans. Every time there's a foul on the field by a Burnley player, they boo like crazy. And I just, it it drives me nuts because 90% of the fouls that they boo are very well deserved because their players just whack the shit out of someone. And that's Burnley specialty. And it just... 
maybe that's why they boo is because they get called for so many because that's how their team plays but it just pisses me off and then their player the ball flies up and accidentally hits pepe in the arm or something and their whole crowd goes crazy i mean i guess that's every football stadium but i i just really hate burnley that must might be that definitely is my least liked club in the planet. So, i think yeah. that I think what you're saying, the booing and stuff, kind of rubs off on their players because there was one play where Tierney just got absolutely clobbered. Just guy got to the challenge way late, and the guy got up. He's like, looked at Tierney. He's like, that's not even a foul. It's just like, <laughs> dude, you just waxed him. Yeah. No. But uh, Q, you got anything for the weekly wanker? Um, yeah, I just want to touch on Beckett's. Yeah, that is annoying, and and it is frustrating when it's so evidently a foul but you do love to hear fans you know getting behind their team and supporting their team yeah i mean they're the home especially team, after so covid like i mean i'll take i'll take any crowd noise at this point in time it just adds so much to the to the drama and the the event of it all yeah. um and so my weekly wanker Wait, what you're saying? The whole team, my weekly wanker. Because they no, 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 no. I'm respecting. I, I, I'm respecting that. I'm respecting that I'm decision. Kidding. I, I'm kidding. I, I, I can see where it's coming from for sure. But my weekly okay. wanker ties into the fact, in the sense that it is the Manchester City board official who decided to go after Pep after he asked for more fans to come to their Premier League game after barely any showed up for their 6-3 win over Leipzig in the Champions League. Um, all Pep did was, you know, ask fans to come out. He said the team's going to be tired. They're going to need that support and that extra push in order to drive them to get a result because, shoot, they just you know, grinded for that's three games in a week, you know, three games in seven days. Difficult for any team, even a team as deep as City. So all he did was ask for fans to come out. I get that. Um, but this board member comes out, I'm not sure if anyone saw it and kind of says that, you know, Pep's a great coach, but he should stick to that. He's too dumb to understand all that, you know, COVID still about, maybe people can't afford tickets. Maybe they can't find a place for their kids, you know, listen, all these reasons. It goes on to say that Manchester city have great support, great fans, takes a dig at Liverpool and United saying that they get they sell 4,000 tickets every week because they're tourists coming. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> I just, to, 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 for a board direct or director to kind of directly go after the manager like that when he simply asked for some support for his team, that is well-deserving of a weekly anchor in in my opinion <laughs> especially when it's the best coach in the world and then what does pep turn around and do he says hey if the fans have a problem with me asking them to come to our game that's fine i'll quit i'll resign and so i'm sure that that dipshit board member is like oh fuck i might have just screwed our whole entire plans up you know for the next two or three years because i pissed this guy off like, it's simply just asking for people to come to the game. I don't think it's that disrespectful. You know, it's it's almost disrespectful to not go to the game when, you, when you're so blessed to have such a good, good and competitive team with, a, to, like, 
such a legendary coach who keeps you in almost every single game you ever play. You're almost always tipped to win. So, yeah, Manchester City Board, weekly wanker. There we go. Um, I also had a weekly wanker, but it goes to the Ashton Villa-Everton game where Lucas Digne with an absolutely horrendous own goal. Um, so Leon Bailey gets subbed on the pitch. A couple minutes later, he's got a corner kick, whips one in. The goalie's coming out with his hands. His hands are ready to catch the ball, and <laughs> Lucas Digne just lets it skim off the top of his head, just absolutely sets the keeper off, and the ball goes right in the back of the net. And then, as if that wasn't bad enough, for the stretch Lucas Denier has been in the Premier League, he has the most own goals, own goals out of anybody else. So, Lucas Denier, you are my weekly wanker. Um, <laughs> can but, I can I have an honorable mention because he's on my fantasy team? So minus one points for the week. <laughs> you love to see that. Oh, what a brilliant header. I'm just now watching it. What a brilliant header. <laughs> Tucks it in the back stick, huh? Yeah, I mean. I love the celebration from Leon Bailey. That's the that's the weekly hero. He goes crazy for the celebration on the own goal. You love to see that, too. Well done. <laughs> like on pro clubs running around the field celebrating <laughs> after an own goal. I'm surprised yeah, an own goal that you fans. shot on target and the goalie – Tried to make a save and it went in. It's somehow an own goal. Yeah. <laughs> I think that does it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. And please don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Canon Side Chats. And please give my co host a follow at, at Gunner13 and at AFC Bex. Thank you all. Yep. Hopefully uh, by the next, next episode drop, we have collected three points from Spurs and are sitting above them in the table. Hell yeah. I'll raise one. I'll raise a pint to that. (laughs) Cheers, lads. See ya. Peace. (laughs) You can, you can clip this right now. I'm going two, one, Pepe goal, Smith Rowe goal off the bench, just dramatic scenes um, in the North London Derby.